This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Bors and James Forsyth. So it's Wednesday, which means there must be another Prime Minister's questions. Now, Katie, how do you think this one went for Keir Starmer and Boris Johnson? Well, it had a different tone to it in terms of this Prime Minister's questions compared to previous, because we've obviously recently had the tragic news regarding both Sir David Amos and also James Brokenshire. And therefore, uh, the initial part was tributes. And then I think it was interesting how Keir Starmer's questions were all related to tackling extremism online. But he also turned the fact that he is often accused of not being a showman, something he talked about in his Labour leader's speech, you know, saying, well, people say you have to be like Boris Johnson, you know, I don't, I don't think you need to be, to actually almost play into his strengths in terms of his seriousness. And I think the questions are fairly focused, but it also meant that when uh, Boris Johnson went for, you know, more lighthearted or a bit more attack, Keir Starmer could reply saying, actually, no, now's the time for seriousness in politics, which I think plenty of people in the House do, do agree with that this is the time for that. Yeah, and James, do you think Boris Johnson should have changed his tone a little bit at this context? I thought it was one of Keir Starmer's most effective points at PMQs because he set the mood of a house. And, and as Casey said, there were various points when Boris Johnson tried to go back to the kind of usual Prime Minister's question style politics. Well, why did Labour Party vote against longer sentences and, and for, for people convicted of various serious offences? Keir Starmer very cleverly didn't rise to that bait. He said, no, look, we're not going to do that this week and carried on with his very kind of sombre tone. And, and it suits him. You know, he is never going to be as good at... He's, he's cautious. And so he's never going to be as good at the cut and thrust of a Prime Minister's questions of, you know, past leaders of the opposition. You know, think of a William Hague and so... Or, or a Tony Blair. So I think what works worked for him today was he was trying to set himself... And also the other thing that worked for him was he is setting himself up. With this this online harms bill when it comes. You look at... I mean, I look at this in the, in the magazine this week. You look at the mood of the Tory party... The online harms bill is going to be toughened up from where it currently is planning to go. I think Keir Starmer is quite cleverly getting himself ahead of that. And I thought the other thing which he is doing is he's running against the social media companies, pointing out all the things that are still available on their platforms that are problematic. And this is a very difficult problem to solve, right? You know, the, the, you know, the only government in the world that has solved this problem is, is China, and it's solved it in a way that is obviously unacceptable for a, for a Western democracy to, to solve it. And so I think if, if Keir Starmer can push Boris Johnson into a position where he's having to defend the fact that they haven't managed to sort this out or that out, that in the long term will be a benefit to Keir Starmer. But I thought, I thought the better thing for Keir I mean, frankly, for Keir Starmer, if PMQs every week becomes a very sober, serious thing like today was, that is ultimately in Keir Starmer's political interest. And, and so I've, I've, I thought today was effective work for Keir Starmer. Well, Katie, he might be helped with that sombre tone as cases are rising again and deaths are rising as well to over 200 a day now, which is the highest since March. He's again accusing the government of complacency in not doing more. So do you think that we could be seeing more restrictions coming back? I wouldn't want to say at this point. I, I don't think the government's planning to announce the reintroduction of restrictions. We're speaking just before Sajid Javid is addressing 
the puppet today in a COVID press conference. It feels like a while now since we've had a COVID press conference and we don't tend to associate them with good news. But I think at the moment, the focus in government is trying to push people towards the booster jab scheme. Also those people who still haven't said yes to their vaccines to encourage them to do so. And I think that just as the government has relied on vaccination and really got rid of all other rules. I think that's their instinct to keep doing. I think we saw from the business secretary at Kwasi Kwarteng's media round this morning that there is a reluctance to even move to the plan B. And the plan B isn't that drastic. Working from home, face masks in enclosed spaces and potentially vaccine passports. So measures which would impact people and change people's lives but in terms of what other countries are doing already you know that is quite far from I think the the lockdowns that we had last year but I think there's a reluctance even to move to plan b I think the government will try to push for it because also we've seen in the past um how if you think around the time of July 19th you know spike in cases and then actually go they go down and I, I think that Anyone who says they they know exactly the science or the reality behind that, it's going, you know, it isn't really being totally honest. But therefore, I think they want to see just how it goes. I think though you are already seeing, you know, NHS figures, um, you know, scientists coming out saying more is needed. So I think we're definitely heading back into the world of government versus scientists in terms of the COVID debates, which we're going to hear a lot more of. I just think the government's going to be quite reluctant to do anything drastic. James, where does that reluctance come from? Because as Katie says, the NHS, some of the NHS figures have come out to criticise the government already or call for stricter rules. So should the government just be a bit more cautious on this front, considering Plan B is not anything more than just a few face masks or well, up in the booster uh, I, I think there is. I think that, I thought there was a very good thread from, from John Burns Murdoch from the FT making the point that if you look at the, 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 the case in the different bits of the UK that have done different things, the issue is indoor mixing, right? Like the, the, it is, it, the, you, the, looking at the data, it, it isn't like those bits of the UK that have gone down the route of vaccine passports or those bits of the UK that have gone down the route of masks are having radically different results that suggest that that would be sufficient to handle the problem. If you start restricting indoor mixing again there is not only the obvious civil liberties issue there is the economic effects and then there's the political effects of a government saying oh yes we told you that the vaccines were the way out of us even though we've had the vaccines we're still having to restrict indoor mixing i think the biggest challenge as as, as katie said is to is to improve the booster program and i think that there is a problem i think that, that, that some of the distribution the government hasn't quite decided what what it thinks the right vehicle is is it you know is it your local gp or is it big vaccination centers and i think the other problem is is context right in you know last winter everyone was just sitting around waiting for that letter that letter saying that you can now book your vaccination you know people people you know would go onto family whatsapp groups and say oh, i've got my letter now it's a different context now and people are are less actively looking out for their letter saying they can get their booster shot the take up among 12 to 15 year olds has been pitifully low and again i think that is partly because people feel well it's not that much risk to a 12 to 15 year old in terms of their own health and and you know and and we haven't seen the back to the, the spike in cases when schools went back that many people expected there obviously is now a spike uh, and so you are you are so you've got those those problems there i i think there is another issue here as well on the clinical advice the clinical advice at the moment is six months on from your second jab some i think that the and the view in the uk was very much well 
Israel, the immunity was waning earlier, possibly because they did Pfizer doses closer together rather than the UK's more strung out dosing strategy. I think there is beginning to be quite a bit of evidence that suggests that they should look at reducing that gap from six months to five months in terms of when you decide to give a booster. But the immunity is beginning to wane at five months, not six. And so I think that's something that should be looked at again. But you know, they need to find a way to get more of those people who are particularly likely to end up in hospital with COVID to get boosters. Or if flu comes in badly, then they are going to have a particular challenge. I think it's not, it's not, I don't think what, I don't sense that people in government are worried about hospitals filling up with COVID patients. They're worried about COVID patients who obviously require particular infection control regimes and like taking up enough space that the NHS, which finds it hard to cope with a bad flu winter in normal times, really struggles because of what is going on. And finally, Katie, we're less than two weeks away from COP26 being held in Glasgow. And today, another world leader has said he will not be coming, and that's Vladimir Putin. I don't think anyone's particularly surprised, but is this another hit to what has been a bit of a rocky start? Yes, in the sense that if you look at the larger emitting countries, you have several now not attending. And clearly, you're going to have delegations, you have the Chinese delegations, even though it isn't President Xi, you you have a Chinese presence there. I presume there'll be something uh, in terms of a Russian presence, even if Putin himself is not there. But it's obviously a statement of intent. And just as the UK government were very pleased when Joe Biden confirmed he'd be going, I think they will be unhappy that they haven't been able to get some of the other world leaders there because it just gives it a little bit more of a sense of kind of focus or urgency. And I think that throughout this, um, those involved with COP26 have really stressed the need to make it in person so as to get people in a room. And they think getting people in a room is where you're going to actually be able to get some of these deals done. So yes, we've had Alex Sharma, the COP president, flying around trying to do all these pre-agreements. But they always thought the point to focus minds to try and get a few things over the line was in Glasgow. And therefore, it just makes it a bit harder if you then have to, you know, sign it off with someone who's not there and so so I, I think it's another hurdle that said I think they're successfully lowering expectations ahead of the summer that actually if they cobble something together which hits some of the targets you could start spinning as a success James what is the feeling in the Saudi government about how it's all going so far because obviously this has been a big announcement week anyway with the COP26 strategy and with the heating and homes strategy as well do people feel like it's going as smoothly as they wanted it to I think in these big international summits, you kind of only know. I mean, yeah, I think Alex Sharma's up in front of the Common Select Committee uh, later on today. You can only know once they get going where they are going to get to, and I think that is that is the reality. I think on some of the questions, there is also obviously a complication. I, I think I'm right in saying that President Xi hasn't travelled outside China since COVID hit. So I, I think so, I think I think that I, I would be. I think there is a, there, there therefore is a reason it, the, the the COVID situation makes it more difficult to make a straight read across from who's coming, who's not, than it perhaps would be in simpler times. Yeah, and certainly not with cases rising as we've talked about. Katie and James, thanks very much, and do join us again tomorrow.